Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Hinshaw to provide our weekly update on COVID-19. The numbers we're sharing today are from Tuesday, April the 26th to Monday, May the 2nd. We are seeing signs that transmission is declining. Over the past week, our average positivity rate is 23% as compared to 25.9% last week. And the virus level in wastewater is dropping at most sites. Calgary remains high. We're seeing what may be the beginning of a drop, but it's too soon to say for sure. However, most other sites have dropped for at least a week. Most are down sharply or are fluctuating at levels well below their BA1 peaks. Edmonton and Lethbridge in particular are down to a fraction of their BA1 peaks. Edmonton has been dropping for two weeks from a recent peak April 18th to the latest update for May the 2nd. Lethbridge has dropped for a week from its recent peak of April the 20th. This is good news, but let's be clear what it means and, not, and, and what it does not mean. It looks like we're passing the peak of BA2 circulation with less impact than we saw with BA1 thanks to vaccine and prior exposure. But hospital admissions are still rising and they'll continue to rise for a few more weeks, even assuming virus levels continue to decline. Over the past week, we've seen another small increase in COVID-positive patients in hospitals, while the number in intensive care has remained about the same for the past month. Our data is in line with what we're seeing in other provinces. It looks like BA1, or sorry, BA2 has peaked in Quebec and Ontario, as both provinces are recording declining rates of transmissions and new cases. In BC, they're continuing to see a rise in new cases and admissions to hospital, but it's much slower than compared to the BA1 wave that we had last, late last year. So it's becoming clear that we and other provinces are seeing less impact from BA2. That's in line with what we expected and we hope it will be the pattern with future waves. But we don't know that. Future variants could have more impact. So we need to plan for future waves and press ahead with the work underway to add capacity. And we're doing that right across the system from EMS to surgery to continuing care. And the reality is our hospitals and the system overall remains under significant stress. We're seeing the equivalent of yet another winter peak in patient volumes, especially in EMS and in emergency departments. The numbers overall remain in line with past years, but occupancy at a few large sites is well over 100%. And while some periods of very high occupancy are normal, this is not a normal year after two years of COVID-19. The staff are under real strain and we owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. I hope and expect they'll start to see some relief soon as a level of virus drops. And once again, to all of them, I would like to say thank you. Once the levels drop, that will mean fewer patients needing admission, as well as fewer blocked beds due to infection control measures and fewer staff off sick or in isolation. The healthcare workforce has been strained by the pandemic in Alberta and in every province, and we need to build it up. So we are doing that adding nurses, paramedics, and other staff as fast as we can recruit them. We need to live with COVID at the same time that we manage all the other pressures on the system. 
And the key to living with COVID is getting more people vaccinated. We're grateful to each and every Albertan who has been vaccinated with all the doses they are eligible for. At the same time, we're continuing to use any tool available to protect people and reduce the strain on our hospitals. One of those tools is the antiviral drug Paxlovid. As I mentioned last week, we've been working to transition the prescribing process to family physicians and other primary care providers. Today, I am pleased to announce two changes. First, starting today, Albertans who meet the clinical criteria for Paxlovid can be assessed for treatment and obtained a prescription directly from a physician, nurse practitioner, or pharmacist. This change will make it faster and easier to access the drug and begin treatment, which must be started within five days of the onset of symptoms. That said, prescribers are still getting the tools and supports they need to make sure they're comfortable prescribing Paxlovid, so we don't expect that all service providers will start this right away. Eligible Albertans can still call AHS if that's more convenient, or if their primary care practitioner is not prescribing at this time, or they don't have a family physician or can't get in to see one right away. We're also making the testing requirements more flexible. As you know, up until now, eligible individuals have needed a positive COVID-19 test result in order to get a prescription. Effective immediately, a positive rapid test result will be accepted as well. It can be a test done at home and then confirmed by a prescriber or one that a prescriber administers in their own clinic. Which type of test and where it's administered will be at the discretion of the prescriber. Albertans at high risk of severe outcomes who know or suspect they're positive for COVID-19 should call their physician, nurse practitioner, or pharmacist to determine if they're eligible for treatment, the testing requirements, and whether prescribing is offered. We're making these changes to help more Albertans access Paxlovid. But a reminder, the clinical criteria are based on expert judgment of the risks and benefits of the drug. They're based on the evidence, and those criteria remain in place. Primary care providers can align COVID-19 treatments with their patients' health status and goals and serve them in their own communities. To date, more than 1,700 prescriptions for Paxlovid have been written, We have more than 29,000 courses of treatment in stock, so don't hesitate to pursue this treatment option if you or someone you know may be eligible. Call your physician's office, pharmacy, or health link as soon as symptoms development. As I've said before, while Paxlovid can help, it's not a replacement for vaccination. If you haven't yet received every dose you're eligible for, please do not wait. Once again, thank you for doing everything that you do. And thanks again to all of our healthcare workforce for stepping up during these challenging times. And with that, I now invite Dr. Hinshaw to give her update. Thank you, Minister, and good afternoon, everyone. While our efforts have largely been focused on COVID-19 in the past few years, my team continues to work on other issues impacting the health of Albertans. So I would like to start today by talking briefly about avian influenza and human health implications. Avian influenza is a disease that occurs naturally among wild aquatic birds, and it can spread to domestic poultry as well as other birds and animals. Currently, there are several farms in Alberta with the virus in their flocks and some wild birds in the province in whom the virus has been found. Our colleagues at Alberta Agriculture and Alberta Environment are working closely with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency to manage the animal health implications. 
but I know Albertans involved with these farms or living in these communities may have questions on what this means for their personal health. What is most important to know is that there have been no cases in people in Alberta, and it is very rare for people to be infected with avian influenza. There is currently one case under investigation in the United States. However, this involves an individual who had very close contact with infected poultry. This week, Alberta Health Services public health nurses will be calling impacted farmers to discuss human health implications and ways to keep their families, workers, and other people on the farms healthy. We've also received questions on whether it is safe to consume poultry or poultry products such as eggs, particularly from hunters or individuals with small backyard flocks. This food is safe to eat if properly cooked. Avian influenza virus is destroyed at the temperatures required to cook meat or eggs, as would routinely be done. I encourage Albertans to visit alberta.ca if they have any other questions about avian influenza. Alberta Health has information related to public health, and both agriculture and environment have information related to animal health available. For anyone with a small backyard poultry flock, if you have not already signed up with Alberta Agriculture to receive information that may be relevant to you and your flock, you can do so on their website. A more common risk that I also want to highlight today is seasonal influenza. We are experiencing a rise in seasonal influenza with levels higher than they have been at any time in the past two years. In Alberta, we have had more than 700 cases diagnosed this season, with the vast majority identified in the past two months. Of these, 68 people have needed hospital care, and three have needed care in the ICU. Actions to lower the risk of influenza infection are the same as those we need to continue for COVID. Washing our hands regularly, staying home if sick, and for those at higher risk of severe outcomes, considering actions like wearing masks when in public places. Turning to today's COVID-19 update. Between Tuesday, April 26th and Monday, May 2nd, our PCR test positivity ranged from 21 to 27.3%, with an average of 23% for the week. This is a slight decrease from the previous week. As the Minister mentioned, hospitalizations have increased slightly from last week, and currently there are 1,267 people with COVID in hospital, including 46 in the ICU. Sadly, between April 26th and May 2nd, 69 deaths related to COVID-19 were reported to Alberta Health with an average of approximately 10 per day. The individuals whose deaths were reported over the past week were between the ages of 28 and 102. My thoughts are with every Albertan grieving the loss of someone they cared about, no matter the cause. Whether we're grieving the loss of a loved one, experiencing illness ourselves, or adjusting to transition to a more normal life the last few years have taken a toll on all of us. So as this week is Mental Health Week, I would like to recognize the complex emotions many of us are feeling right now and the fact that Albertans continue to wrestle with the effects of this pandemic in many ways. Depression and anxiety in us or those we care about are just some of the ways these impacts can show up. If you or someone you know is having these struggles, or if dealing with stress or uncertainty feels overwhelming or is interfering with daily life, I urge you to seek support. Free non-judgmental help is available for anyone who needs it. A list of comprehensive resources, 
is available at alberta.ca slash mental health. Albertans can also call 211 anytime, day or night, for mental health support. And no matter what you're struggling with, I want you to know you are not alone. It takes courage to reach out for help, and that help is there for you. I'd like to end today by encouraging each of us to find ways this week to employ compassion, both for ourselves and those around us. That could include practicing self-care strategies, such as exercise, eating well, or using mindfulness techniques. It could also mean reaching out to a loved one or someone in the community to see how they're doing. We need each other as we always have, and making time to show we care can have positive impacts far beyond a single moment. There are a lot of challenges that face us, and all of them are easier to manage when we work on them together. Thank you, and we're happy to take questions. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw and Minister. Uh, looks like just two reporters in the queue on the phone and uh, no one here in the room. So we'll take the first caller, please, operator. Adam Toy, Global. Uh, yes, thanks for taking my question. Um, we saw this week uh, lineups uh, out of the Alberta Children's Hospital Emergency Department doors in Calgary here this week. Um, HS, uh, we're still waiting for a response from, from them, but a question for the Health Minister, wondering if, if you're aware of this, uh, if you're aware of anything that might be behind this, for example, uh, for example, any sort of staffing issues at ACH, and uh, if so, what's being addressed to what's being done to address it? So thanks for the question. So I'm not aware of any uh, staffing issues. Report the, the initial report that I got back. There is no uh, staffing issues currently. Uh, the just volumes are high. I, I had an opportunity to uh, tour the Royal Alex uh, earlier this week. And, uh, you know, and I had this conversation about volumes and, and what's driving it, and it's a combination of factors. Um, one of the factors uh, is associated with, with uh, COVID, uh, BA2, obviously. Uh, but as mentioned by Dr. Hinshaw, the flu is impacting it. And there's also higher levels of acuity. One of the things that uh, doctors were commenting and that they're seeing is that um, you know, individuals who, you know, during the two years of COVID previously, uh, did not see as much in terms of the primary care. Uh, so they're presenting to the hospital with higher levels uh, levels of acuity. So all of these things are, are driving um, sort of higher volumes uh, right at this point in time. Um, and the, the solution, quite frankly, for that is, is uh, you know, increasing capacity. As I mentioned earlier today, we're doing that. That's going to take time. But I do want to thank, again, all of our healthcare providers for the tremendous work that they're doing in terms of managing through this volume. Uh, you know, very hopeful that, you know, we're seeing uh, signs of uh, you know, declining in terms of community spread. Uh, we'll still see increased pressure on our system over the next few weeks as it works its way through, but then to be able to come back. And then we can focus on uh, on, uh, on adding more capacity uh, for future rounds, and, and you'll see that pressure come down. Thanks, Minister. Uh, Adam, a follow-up? Uh, yes, a, a question for Dr. Hinshaw. Um, a, a children's hospital ER doc we spoke with says, the flu and COVID are both peaking at the same time. Um, what can be done about this? Should kids be wearing masks? Can there be an increased push, push for vaccinations? We know that uh, the influenza A a virus that's currently circulating um, is uh, one that's not ideally matched to the vaccine that, that was uh, used this season. So when that happens, while vaccine can still help somewhat, uh, we know that in the past, the effectiveness of influenza vaccine kind of ranges year to year. Uh, what I would say with respect to the things that are, are most important to 
manage or lower the risk for both influenza and COVID, whether it's for kids or people of any other age, is uh, again, making sure that hands are washed regularly. Certainly masks are an important intervention and especially for those who have risk factors. Wearing masks in public places is an important consideration. Also making sure that uh, we continue to normalize in all of our circles the important habit of staying home when sick. So um, trying to avoid uh, being around people who have a respiratory illness and making sure that uh, we're supporting those who, who need uh, perhaps a little bit of time uh, if they're feeling sick to, to not be in close proximity to others. So those are really the key things. Obviously, uh, COVID vaccination is highly effective at preventing severe outcomes. So that's an important intervention for children who are old enough to receive that. Uh, and for younger children, again, it really is about those other key preventive measures that people can take every day. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we'll go to the next caller, please. Terry, CTV. Hi there. Uh, I just have a quick question about the situation in Calgary in terms of the wastewater to the minister or Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I know that we're saying in other areas it's declining. What is the situation like in Calgary? Is it, you know, staying the same or increasing? And uh, just what kind of concerning levels are those at? any kind of reminders to Calgarians or anything of that note? Uh, I'll maybe start, and, and then if the minister wants to add, uh, that would be great. So we are seeing, uh, we have seen throughout the last month or so, higher levels in Calgary with respect to virus and wastewater. Uh, we know that that's a, a marker of transmission in the community that doesn't rely on test-seeking behaviours. Um, but uh, we are, you know, again, seeing that in most other places in the province that decline from a previous peak, we expect that in Calgary, uh, we would start to see that as well. We know our other leading indicator of uh, test positivity is beginning to decline. And so uh, ultimately, I think the, the important thing for Albertans to be able to do when they're wondering about risk in their own community is to look at the information that's available on the Alberta Health website uh, where they can see uh, multiple indicators, including the cases that have been diagnosed in the last week in, uh, in their geographic area. They can see the positivity rates in different zones, and they can see the wastewater results for different cities where that's being tracked, and use that as a, a measure of what the risk might be in those communities to inform the decisions that they make about their daily activities. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, Terry, follow-up? Yeah, just on that note, I should have asked at the beginning, but um, is there any uh, indication why Calgary's kind of bucking the trend? It's really difficult to say. One of the things that's important to uh, remember about wastewater, again, is that uh, the absolute level is difficult to compare from one city to another just because there's some different sampling techniques. So while we're working on variation, uh, reducing variation across the province, what is most important is to look at the the trends in any given area. So it's, it's really difficult to say why Calgary might be a little bit different, why they uh, might not be coming down as, as quickly as other places. But ultimately, whatever the, the reasons for that change in the, or the difference in the trend, again, the important thing is to use that as one of several metrics when people are looking at what their risks might be in their community to inform those uh, protective actions that they take. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. We started with two, but I think one more joined. So, operator, we'll take a third call and then stop there.
Laura Beamish, Fort Mac Today. Thank you so much for taking my question, Minister Coffin. Um, it's unrelated to COVID, but back in 2018, it was reported the NDP government was discussing expanding abortion services to Fort McMurray, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Grand Prairie, and Red Deer. Obviously, COVID-19 has had a great impact since then, but is pursuing this a priority? So, so my understanding um, when uh, my uh, predecessor was asked the same question and looked into that is that, um, you know, even though the previous government may have t uh, spoken to that issue, you know, AHS is the one that, that uh, makes the decisions of what services will be provided and where based on the demand. Um, and they had no plans to be able to, uh, uh, they had no plans uh, to increase the uh, uh, the current level of, uh, of service that abortions are provided. And as you know, abortions are provided in, uh, you know, there's clinics in, uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, my understanding is AHS has no current plans to uh, to expand that, um, but there you know also is you know other options uh, associated with uh, um, uh, uh, sorry uh, uh, myfogimiso, um, which is a uh, which is an oral based option uh, that is available across the province. Thanks, Minister uh, Laura. Follow up. Yeah, thank you. Minister Copping, just when you're looking at expanding and, and increasing more health care support in rural areas, isn't abortion services something that you're talking about or looking at? So, so again, AHS is, you know, when we look at services generally, um, you look at the uh, demand that and the requirement, and, it's, and then and AHS looks at that with the demand where it's needed, and and uh, how and they do that not with just abortion, they do that with with all services. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, transfusion services, for example, you know, cardiac services. Uh, so, there is an assessment that they actually go through. Um, you know, one of our focuses um, in the challenges that we're having right now uh, is about ensuring that we have the staff in rural Alberta to be able to deliver the services that AHS has already determined that, that uh, should be delivered, given the demographics and the demand in those locations. Uh, and so we are focused on, on uh, increasing um, uh, increasing staff, uh, recruitment and retention of, of doctors and other healthcare professionals in rural Alberta to be able to deliver those services that have already been determined that, that are, are required uh, given the demographics and given the demand. Thanks, Minister, uh, and thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we'll stop there and see you back here next week for the next update.